Welcome to Guest of the Year. I'm the host. My name's Mike. This week's guest setlist curator is Ryan Eldridge from the renovation show Main Cabin Masters, which just finished its eighth season on Magnolia Network. He also hosts the podcast From the Woodshed with his colleague and brother-in-law, Chase. Welcome, Ryan. Thanks for having me, Mike. Very happy to be here. Just another notch in the how much the Grateful Dead has played a role in my life. Appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you. All right, here's how the game works. We'll play the first part of a Grateful Dead live track, and each contestant will use the messaging system to silently guess which year their performance is from. Contestants, who are all on a video conference together, can message in their guesses at any time during the clip or in the 10 seconds after it concludes. Whoever is furthest from the correct year is eliminated. The last two deadhead standing will have a best of three series to determine a winner. We've got a returning champion, Garen, here with us, and we'll meet the rest of the deadheads in a moment. But first, without further ado, the Grateful Dead. Right outside the fence Took his rings for bucks and change Ain't that heaven sin Hurt my ears to listen Burns my eyes to see Cut that man in cold blood Shannon Might as well be me Okay, the guesses are in. That was a Jack Straw at Oxford Plains Speedway in Oxford, Maine, a hometown show for Ryan <laughs> uh, on July 2nd, 1988. Sweet pick, Ryan. Why'd you choose that Jack Straw? They always loved to play Maine. It's for some reason, they always had really top shows. Because you know why it is? Because they're here the best time of the year. They're not here in January. I bet they were here in January. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oxford Plains, those are classic shows. And Jack Straw was my wife's favorite song. It was a song that I didn't, I overlooked for a long time. You know, you have those songs. And in the last 10 years since we were married, my love of Jack Straw, it just, I didn't see the dead until I was, um, until 93. You know, but I remember we dropped my stepfather off. He, my stepfather, Kyle, is a big deadhead, and he's the main reason I got into him. But I still remember I was talking to him today about dropping him off in the car and seeing him walk off down the street to the speedway. So that had a little sentimental. The first day, my mom was Lewiston, and she wore high heels, I guess, and fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a family story. That's a great one. Thanks, Ryan. Great pick. So... We had two people get it exactly. Yes. Nice job. Rob and Joe. Rob is 46 and he's from Brooklyn. Nice job, Rob. How'd you figure that out? Well, I mean, once Jerry started singing, you know, it was pretty clear what was going on. He was a little raspy. And I could tell by Brent's keys, it was late 80s. I mean, the recording quality on that one was tough, but... It was just a perfect era for them, you know? I, I, I went 88, I thought 89 maybe, but I knew it was in there somewhere. And they're, they were just awesome then. And I listened to a lot of that era, certainly 89. So I kind of knew the sound and it was a lot of Brent's keys and Jerry's vocals gave away that it was a little later on. Awesome, you're on to the next round. Along with Joe. Joe is 54 and he's from Ennis, Montana. Joe, you nailed 88 as well. Do you think of this something yeah. along the same lines as Rob? Um, not exactly. Let me just say, Mike, I'm just glad I didn't go out in round one. I was that was my number one goal. Here, <laughs> hoping to hoping to not. Um, I don't know. I guess just listening to it and listening to any dead and trying to 
ever since I signed up to do this, just trying to guess the year, you know, I, I just tend to bracket it. And I felt like it was, it was clearly 88, 89, just had that sound. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I feel like, Mike, you have so many, I, I've listened to a lot of your shows and so many of the guys that come on are so knowledgeable and so technically knowledgeable. I, I don't know if that's really my angle. I just have, I just listen to so much of it that I just have, it's just a feeling, you know, it's just the sound and the, the era and uh, it, it takes me back to places in my life. And, and uh, that one just kind of felt familiar. Awesome. You're on to the next round. Our returning champ, Garen guessed 1987 and he is also on to the next round. What'd you hear there, Garen? Um, the keyboard tones were obviously late eighties, but they were somewhat organic sounding. So I, I thought I leaned towards 87. It's, you know, 87, 88, it's sort of a crapshoot for me. Thanks, Garen. Welcome back. So Josh is also on the next round, which makes Dave odd man out. Josh guessed 86. Dave guessed 80. Josh is 57 and he's from Rochester, New York. Nice pull, Josh. Why uh, 86? I I was listening for probably something I shouldn't listen to, which is Brent's vocals. You know, how strong is it? How high is it in the mix? And it's like, well, you don't know what's controlling that. But I think the main thing that pushed it a little earlier for me was how bad Jerry sounded. I, mean, I, I don't mean bad, I mean unhealthy. And I thought, oh man, what was the really unhealthy zone? And, you know, I thought, well, 86, you know, uh, but it was kind of a guess anywhere in their kind of mid to late eighties. So. So you went right before the coma because you thought he sounded like trash. <laughs> Something to that effect. <laughs> right on Joshua on the next round. Thanks. Uh, Dave is 48 from Providence, Rhode Island. Dave, uh, you guessed 1980. What'd you hear there? Oh my God. <laughs> Who knows? I was way off. <laughs> I've been practicing on this with my, uh, my daughter's been playing me tracks just randomly. Oh, that's when we're awesome. She's 11. She knows more Grateful Dead lyrics than I do by far. Like we just, just drove back from Boston this afternoon and sat in traffic for two hours. Uh, Cause they're off school this week. So she was playing me a bunch of songs. I was like a year off and everything. And <laughs> here I just blew it. But man, what are you going to do? Dad of the year. Yeah. 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 Heck yeah. That's a better prize. It, it, may, it may say more about how, how bad I am at remembering lyrics than anything. But, uh. <laughs> well, um, how did you get into the dead and how did you end up raising a young deadhead? You know, I've been in music my whole life. I you know, started taking piano lessons when I was five. I grew up in a small, tiny town in the central Wisconsin, about 800, 800 people. So, you know, played piano all the while I was growing up and, you know, kind of country music was mostly was played in the house. And then... Um, in the 80s, you know, started listening to Top 40 radio. So, you know, heard Touch of Grey, really liked the song. I didn't know anything about the Grateful Dead at that point. Really liked that song. Uh, you know, got into high school, started listening to some jazz, you know, when I could find it on the radio, like public radio, you know, playing in the jazz band in high school. Then when I got to college, so I went down to uh, Northwestern and, you know, just north of Chicago for college. Uh, my freshman dorm it was a weird arrangement. I was in a very short hall with about 10 rooms and it's basically a bunch of freshmen in there. And the guy with the loudest stereo was this, this guy named Carlo from Sarasota, Florida. He's a huge deadhead. So he was, you know, playing dead. I was like, Oh my God, what is this? And I remember like the first two things that grabbed me were uh, one from the vault, like the eyes of the world, you know, and blues for blues for Allah, like all that kind of jazzy stuff from the you know mid seventies just grabbed me. So you know, started seeing shows when they came to Chicago at the Rosemont Horizon and Soldier Field, you know, 93, 94, 95 is when I saw them. And then, uh, then started getting really into fish too. I mean, that was kind of their, their peak years, 95 to 98. So started really getting into listening to fish and started, you know, noodling around the guitar. When I, I went out to California for grad school, started playing guitar because didn't, didn't have much money and didn't have time to do much else and then picked up the bass kind of toward the undergrad school and then literally the uh the weekend after I defended my uh PhD thesis I answered a Craigslist ad out in the Bay Area for a band looking for a bassist and met like two of my best friends like that weekend guy was best man at my wedding formed a band the first band was kind of a little more bluegrassy oriented kind of string cheese incident 
flavored. So, you know, we did Cumberland Blues and, you know, some of the other sitting on top of the world, bluegrassy songs. Uh, and then I moved out to the East Coast about 10 years ago, played in a fish cover band for a couple of years out here. And then uh, five years ago, joined a, a dead tribute band called Playing Dead. And uh, so we play all around New England. Um, we play every Wednesday night at a place called Soundcheck Studios in Pembroke, Mass. So I'm really getting in, into the dead, which is my awesome. absolute embarrassment that I biffed this one so bad. But <laughs> gonna gonna take gonna take some shit from my bandmates there for sure. Um, yeah, the cool thing about this band, honestly, like, and it's a real challenge for me, is that we don't do set lists. So we go on stage, and it's like, you know, we do the kind of the Bobby Jerry alternating thing with, you know, I sing a couple Phil songs occasionally, like Unbroken Chain or you know, uh, Pride of Cucamonga. So how do you guys signal what the next song is going to be? Is it always just the strum of a guitar? The Jerry guy, our lead guitarist, um, it's almost always just like a little noodle between songs. He'll play like, you know, I think like Jerry used to do that a lot, like just play like a little noodle where you can, you know, hopefully you can pick up on that and hear what song it is. Um, a lot of the times we have talk back mics on stage because we use in-ear monitors. So we can't, we do have the possibility to talk. So like the weird songs are off, he'll often step up to the mic and say, you know, hey, looks like rain or, you know, whatever song. But, but the Jerry guy likes to kind of keep, keep that spontaneity and, and, you know, try to mess with us at times, I think. <laughs> Your own game show up there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. In front of people. <laughs> um, Garen is in a, a tribute band, Gratefully Yours, and he's the Jerry and he, is the same ethos of uh, improvisation. Garen, how do you guys uh, choose and relay the songs up on stage? Yeah, it's a lot of, you know, between song, little musical cue communication. Um, yeah, and we also do a lot of, even in a lot of first set segues and stuff. So obviously in that case, it's you're trying to sort of seamlessly go from one to the other. Got it. Well, Dave, thanks so much for being here. And... Um, you have a cool daughter, so you're the real winner here. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me. Luck to y'all. Thanks, Dave. Okay. So Josh, Joe, Rob, and Garen are on to the next round, and Ryan has another killer pick. Let's hear it. the guesses are in that was a space jam into an ico ico at war memorial auditorium in rochester new york on september 2nd 1980 ryan that was a, a really cool pick uh talk to us here i've always thought that show was phenomenal you know one of my favorites and i think it's kind of a preview of what you're starting to get coming up brent's on the piano there you know, you know, you know, that's a second set Ico and Ico starting to come around. So they're starting to play around with placements and stuff like that. Yeah. That was kind of the one I thought maybe it's kind of a little deep and see what they know. Kind of. 
Yeah, great pick, Ryan. Very cool. Joe got it exactly. And he was the only one to get it exactly. 1980. Joe, talk us through it. Nice pull. Oh, thanks. Well, um, Brent, obviously, right away is a clue. So I'm thinking 79 to early, earlier 80s. So I kind of bracketed. I'm like 79 to 83. It's right in there. And then the more I listened to it, the more I thought about it, I think things sped up a lot into 81, 2, and 3. They just started, you know, kicking a little faster. Anyway, good feeling. Got lucky again, Mike. So <laughs> I'll take it. That one was not luck, Joe. That's a very, very <laughs> rational, you know, analysis and choice based on that analysis. Nice work. So Josh and Garen both guessed 1982, and they're both on in the next round because Rob guessed 1984. Yeah, so Josh, uh, why'd you guess 82? What totally threw me was Jerry's guitar tone. Like, what is going on there? It's like, you know, it, it, Gar- I mean, I'm an, another guitar player in a, yet another tribute band. And like, I, I do the Bobby stuff. I'm like, what is this sound? And at first, my gut said, was that some kind of MIDI patch? And that threw me into late 80s, you know, 90s, whatever. And then, you know, heard Brent and but the pace was so weird. And so that was sort of a stab in the dark, like I play in the game. Like, would you guys do it? Would you do another late eighties? So I was like, okay, it's probably early. Um, but that honestly, the vibe of that, the, 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 the pace, that's really unfamiliar territory for me, which is ironic because I live in Rochester, New York, (laughs) although in 1980, I, uh, had not discovered the dead yet. So, and I actually never saw a show here which is weird, but we'll get into that later probably. So Garen, yeah, Josh was wondering, we're all wondering what was going on with Jerry's guitar. What'd you hear in that regard? And why'd you guess 82? It was just a very like mid-rangey sort of muted, you know, it didn't have a lot of top end clarity. Um, the first thing that I was, a lot of times the first thing I'll listen for is Brent's keys to try and zero in on an era. And I, it was sounded like a Fender Rhodes. So, and he did that, he played that a lot in eighty. I'm realizing that I associate 1980 with really like high def recordings. Um, and that was, you know, that was sort of, it sounded like a board or, or a matrix at least, but it had sort of a muffled kind of, you know, wasn't like sparkly kind of quality. So that threw me off a little bit, but uh, yeah. Thanks, Karen. So Rob, you're eliminated because you guessed 1984. Sorry. Why'd you guess 84? Well, I would say the first half of the 80s are probably my weakest point, although, you know, between 92 and 95 are hard too for me. But I heard something in Brent's keys that made me think it was a little later. It would have this like clangy sound, this like feedbacky sound. And it was in the space portion up front that was very cool and very chill. And I really, in hindsight, should have realized how chill it was that it was in 84 where they were playing a little faster. Anyway, I was really out of my element, <laughs> and uh, I, I immediately went 84 because of this tone and the keyboard, and I was like, oh, maybe it's 83, but it didn't matter. I wasn't close, and I really do love 80, so um, I'll check out that show. Thank you very much, and uh, I'm bummed I'm out, but you know, I'm not surprised it was on a, you know, an 80s show, an early 80s show, or first half of them anyway. So, Got it. So, Rob, how did you get into the dead? Well, you know, my my older sister went to a show uh, probably in like 93 or something, and she came back and like burned her jacket. And I was curious as to how that happened, really. That was kind of like the first thing. I was like, what's going on there? And around the same time, I went to see the Horde Festival, uh, and I saw some, you know, a scene that was really interesting to me. I was into hip hop growing up in Brooklyn in the 90s. But uh, anyway, it was like a connection between, say, improvisational music and the jazz samples that the hip hop artists were using. These start, things started to meld for me, actually. And I, I just fell in love with it, like kind of the jams and the improv, improv portion. That wasn't it at first. Someone in summer camp like gave me a tape and it was mostly like Skull and Roses era, you know. Um, pretty fast and furious and fun, uh, dead. But I love the you know, 70s, early 70s, especially jazzy 70s too, um, you know, um, but the 90s as well, you know, or, you know, 89, 90, you know, I love it all. But yeah, it was through, you know, some friends, you know, and being exposed to like uh, the jam scene in the early 90s. I was really into Blues Traveler, actually. They were fantastic, you know, before they kind of blew up. 
and seeing them and the Allman Brothers, you know, and I saw The Dead for the first time and the last time. And that was the show where they played on Broken Chain, which is a notable thing about it. But the show itself wasn't like spectacular, of course. Um, yeah. What was that like when they broke into Unbroken Chain? I have to admit, I really had no idea, like, the significance. And I really didn't even know most of the music at that point. Like, I was just getting introduced to it as it was ending, so to speak. But then I went to University of Michigan and I traded tapes pretty aggressively as a freshman and, like, you know, built a collection and got to know, like, this stuff. And I've been listening ever since. So, you know, it's, you know, it's a long time. Um, bummed I struck out on the second round, but hey, what are you going to do? So I've been listening since you started and I stopped listening once I realized I was going to be on it because I wanted to like clear my head here and it didn't work. It didn't work. <laughs> Damn, you've been listening since the beginning? Yeah, I, the first episode was promoted by Mason or, or something like that. Uh, you know, early I saw an ad for it. You know, someone promoted you. And yeah, it's amazing. I've been playing along. I'm, and like mostly everybody probably been playing this game for as long as I had like satellite radio or anything like that. You know, you always do this. Oh, what is that? What is that? I'm not going to look at it. I know what it is. Well, Thanks for listening, Rob. Appreciate you and appreciate you coming. But I didn't know what it was. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Appreciate you guys. Good luck to you all. All right. Josh, Joe, and Garen are on to the next round. Competing for two spots in the best of three series. And the winner gets the Guest of the Year merch. Guest of the Year shirt designed by Dylan, who draws up the posters. So if you like the posters, you're going to dig this shirt. It is coming out this week and... There will be more information on that. But you, as always, you can follow everything on guesttheyear.net and our Instagram at guesttheyearshow. Let's play the song. Well, that was a playing in the band at Nassau Coliseum in New York on September 7th, 1973. Ryan, tasty pick. Uh, why that playing? I really wanted to feature some Donna. And there's a reason behind that. Um, I got a story. So a couple of my good friends in the old band, Strange Folk, and they used to play the guy out of the vibes. And we were up at the one when they were, it wasn't in Connecticut. It was upstate New York. And uh, we're backstage, and there was no one back there except myself and my buddy Tim, who uh, plays the Main Dead Project. And we we're just hanging out, and we like never been backstage. It was like a circus tent with some carpets and a free keg and some couches. And we had, um, you know, enhanced our mood, and we we're just hanging out back there. And things are starting to kick in, and we're giggling. And this lady walks in, and she pours me in this all foam. And I was being a bartender, so I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, you got to do it this way. And I did it. And then I was like, holy crap, that's Donna Jean. Okay, and it's just Donna. My buddy Tim over there starting, like, maybe he's keeping it together, but, you know, he's going for a ride. And myself. And I'm just like, and, like, she turned around. I'm like, Jane. Like, 
and he's not getting it. And we just start talking. And everyone has their Donna thing, you know? And, you know, we all have bad nights, you know? But we, we start, and we all have great nights too. And we all have nice people don't even know about. But we start talking to her, talking about the music. And she just, you know, kept going back to Muscle Shoals and how her son's in the, this new band. It was so proud of him, you know? And then, and she's like, you know, like, we had a great time, but you know what? We were just all just having too much fun back then. And, you know, she's like, there's some things I, you know, I wish I could take back. You know, we all had off nights and good nights, but she owned it, you know? And as proud as she was of her son, I just had a different res respect for her. I thought about it. You know, we do all do have bad. I have crappy days when I can't hit the head of a nail, you know? Well, I mean, sometimes Dawn is a blast. Sometimes at the time is not perfect, but I just looked at the whole situation better and I just wanted to give her some love. So it was a long conversation. No, yeah, we were back there for quite a while. It was probably only 20 minutes, but you know, in those, in those situations, it feels like days. Yeah. Actually, I think we slept back. It was a, it was a, it was a fun <laughs> night. So Garen was the only one who got it exactly. 1973. Garen, you're on to the finals to defend your guest of the year title. How'd you pick out 73? I mean, 72 was just like, by the end of 72, they were just like a machine to me. It was just, you know, they were so muscular and they had such a great swing and um, everything was so put together, you know, and that felt looser to me. I knew right away it was 72 to 74, somewhere in there. It just had this loose swing. Some of the drum fills were sort of just like, you know, that thing of like falling down the stairs and are you going to land in the right spot in, in a beautiful way. And then uh, Jerry went into that sort of wah-wah that, the manual wah-wah thing. I just, yeah. Way to go, Garen. Josh guessed 72, so he's on to the finals as well. Joe guessed 76. Josh, um, why 72? Well, I, it's funny because at first, like my gut said 73, right? I, and I remember what previous contestants had said about the microphones and the, the S's and you know, all that stuff. And I was like, I really wasn't hearing that. But again, you don't know what the source is really. So, you know, it felt like that 72 cooking vibe. It was in that zone. And I just like, eh. and I think it might have been because my band is adding, we just played playing in the band at rehearsal for the first time last night. And we're basing it off of 72. And it's that well, the recency effect. It's like 72. And it was a 72. I typed in 72. Should have gone with my gut and said 73. The recency effect strikes again, but you, it doesn't cost yes. you because you are on to the next round. Joe, you guessed 76. So you thought you heard uh, Mickey in there? Uh, no, that's not what I thought. But <laughs> I, you know, like, I kind of bracketed it. I'm like, okay, right away. I'm like 72 to 76. Got to be in there somewhere. In hindsight, I, I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Um, obviously, that was a 73 sound and a 73 show. Um, I just, I just kind of panicked at the end there when it started to fade out i'm like i need to hear a little more of this um so I, I i don't know i don't know what i was thinking this is hard man i wish i could change my answer mike <laughs> uh, I, I i i will say i you know i love 73 so much i think it was if i had to say when jerry was at his absolute happiest i would pick 1973 I mean, I just feel like that was when he was just on fire in every way. And, and so I'm, I'm really disappointed in myself that I picked that. But hey, I, I said at the beginning, I was just hoping I wouldn't go out in round one. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nothing to hang your head about, Joe. Uh, how did you get into the dead? Oh, man, I, I think I heard the dead um, when I was really young, like, you know, 12 or 13 the first few times. Um, so I was aware of them, but it wasn't until... I was in high school. I, I think I was a sophomore in high school. And uh, my older sister uh, got tickets to see him at Starlight Theater in Kansas City on September 3rd, 1985. And uh, my mother, God rest her soul, uh, my mother, I think, just knew in her heart and trusted that, you know, letting her kids and her young son go see Jerry and the Grateful Dead was a good thing. And so my mother, wrote me a note to get out of school nice. on Tuesday and Wednesday to drive all the way across the state of Missouri. I lived in St. Louis, this four-hour trip. So we went over there with my older sister and her boyfriend and uh, saw that show. It was a one-night venue, and uh, that night unequivocally changed my life. 
uh, for the better. Absolutely. So I owe a lot to my sister, Rebecca. Big shout out to you, Rebecca. And uh, my mom, my mom for really just knowing, you know, my mom loved, she was a different generation, another times forgotten space, right? But she loved, uh, she loved Reckoning. She loved like Ico. Uh, she loved Monkey and the Engineer. So she, she had a taste for like the music a little bit from us, you know, down in the basement, smoking weed and stuff. She's like, what is that? Uh, but she she really made it happen more than anyone. And ever since then, it seems like I I just all all my greatest friends in life were all deadheads, you know, through high school and college. And that's all we did was scheme on how we could go to the next show. You know, for ten years, it was like, what are, where are we going next? Um, so almost everybody, all my friends are deadheads, and those who aren't tolerate me pretty well. So anyway, I owe a lot to my mom and my my older sister. So anyway, this is great, Mike. I love this. This is so uniquely Grateful Dead. It's super fun. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on. And all, all my buddies want to be a part of it now. So <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing good. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate it. So you got all these buddies. Do you guys, you know, discuss the Grateful Dead, see shows together? How do you, like, keep the conversation going that started years ago when you were all out seeing shows together well I, I i it's not hard it's just an everyday part of my life and i think uh, a lot of other people's lives who i know um i i personally don't travel much to see live music anymore i travel to fly fish the world that's my business and my passion is fishing so i mostly live in the past with the grateful dead you know and just i listen to it it's the music of my life so i i i'm a student of it now uh, and and I, I listen to it all the time. You wouldn't know it by my last pick, but uh, I am a student of it. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Do you have yeah. a policy on when you're fly fishing? Do you have a policy on wearing headphones, listening to the dead, or do you try to zone out on the river? <laughs> uh, I, I do kind of have a policy. Um, I don't like to personally have the Grateful Dead just playing all the time in the background. I like to actively listen to it. I like to put on these Bose headphones with the highest quality recordings. Uh, Hunter Siemens, by the way, God bless you, Hunter Siemens. Uh, the, the Matrix recordings that that guy has put together and released for us are the greatest thing I've ever heard. I, I, it's my life's mission to collect all of them. Um, so I like to, to do that, to actively listen at very high volume. So um, so so I, I'm you know particular about it a little bit. I just don't want to just kind of droning along in the background all the time we're going to listen to the grateful dead let's do it man let's let's turn it up uh and get into it so we don't actually listen to it on the river that much i'm, I'm a fishing guide so i don't i don't force it on other people i like to share this passion with people that that you know have the same obsession <laughs> what's your business name sir madison river fishing company and trout stalkers in ennis montana and when you walk up to our building there's a steely on the window and there's a beautiful picture of Jerry at Shore, uh, Shoreline Amphitheater at 1986 that a friend of mine took inside. So we pay tribute to Jerry Garcia and the Grateful Dead every single day in one way or another. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's I have met so many people in my business um, because of that. Just having those subtle little things, people will just come in and be like, "Who's the deadhead here?" Like, well, that's me. You know, and we've I've made so many friends through the Grateful Dead through going to shows for 10 years and. Uh, and then just, you know, just kind of wearing it on my sleeve, I guess, in a, in a sort of quiet way, not too on your face. But, uh, but I put it out there that, that we love him and, and, it, and it, you know, guys like you are like, hey, man, what's up? I'll go fishing with you. That's amazing. You know, the reason I, I knew Ryan was a deadhead is because on his show, he's always wearing Grateful Dead stuff. Then I just asked him like, hey, Ryan, do you mind being on the show? And he graciously said yes. But uh, Ryan, is that something that you think about too? You're like, are you thinking about projecting the Grateful Dead iconography? I feel so honored and humbled that I can just be it, be an ambassador. You know, like I can't believe it. They even let it go. To be honest with you, let's just not only that we got eight seasons on TV. I just can't believe I I wore I season one. I you know we didn't think we were gonna get a show. We know we got a pilot. That's one in like a thousand ideas gets a pilot, and then one in a hundred pilots gets the first season. So we we had nothing to lose. But I remember the first shirt I wore, was, I bought in the lot. Didn't want to wear licensed material. It was just a, um, oh, just kind of like a square red, blue with lightning bolt. And it might have said grateful on it. 
you know, and that, they let that go. And then I'm like, oh, well, try something different. You know, for the first three or four seasons, it was always, you know, lot artists and stuff like that. Cool stuff people sent me, but it's turned in, you guys, you wouldn't believe what people have sent me over the years um, since then. You know, I've had amazing shirts. I've had two ladies, um, their husbands died and wanted me to have their I mean, collections. And like, these are shirts that they could sell for hundreds of dollars. You, you know, you, you guys know how popular that stuff is. Um, it's just, just unbelievable. Um, if you guys know, but I mean, if, it's just, it's, it's way bigger than I think we all really understand. Um, I think a big thing now is that we can do this and would not judge like we were, you know, maybe in the eighties. I don't think in the eighties, if I, I was on a show and wearing a dead shirt, I don't think it would have flown, you know, <laughs> but um, yeah. it's, it's one of the biggest honors in my life and I'm very proud to do it. And I, I met more friends and more people and shirts come in the mail all the time. And I try to represent them and yeah, it's a wild ride. So the producers never give you any grief about wearing dead shirts? They they haven't. Um, and so we have a family heirloom as well. I got skinny enough to wear it like two years ago during the pandemic. Was, uh, my stepfather's 84 shirt from Augusta, Maine. It's just falling apart. And I mean, you can see my nipples and my man boobs <laughs> and you can see everything. And I didn't care, you know? For some reason, they were almost gonna, um, they were almost gonna not let this. One time it came up, well, and, and this whole crazy ride we're on, uh, Big Steve, he's watched the show. I haven't talked to him in person, but we've talked online and stuff. And uh, so when, that was right about when I was talking it, to him a little bit. I was like, what, what do you think of this shirt? And like, just like people notice it. And like, I don't think we would have had season two or three because if, after we got season one, I was on all these social media sites like, hey, guys, we're, you know, we're a bunch of deadheads in Maine. We got a show. We need ratings. And I went, I'm not a big social, I was a big social media guy now, now it's so important, but I, I was on all these sites and just throwing out a help us plug. And they would look at numbers and they, it helped. It really helped. So thank you all. So Joe does not listen to um, the dead while he fly fishes, but do you listen to the dead while you're doing carpentry? The radio is the first tool that comes off the trail and the last tool to go on. <laughs> Uh, I love it, Ryan. Thank you. Um, and Joe, thank you so much for uh, for being here. Thank you, Mike. Good luck with it, man. This is great. Appreciate nice to meet it. you, Joe. Yeah, yes. likewise. I'm going to send you a t-shirt, Ryan. Please do. I'll wear it. <laughs> All right. So Josh and Garen are on to the finals. The winner gets a spot in next week's show and a guest of the year prize pack. Ryan's got a song. Let's hear it. Okay, um, that was an I Know Your Rider. Let's hear what they thought before I reveal the answer. Garen, you guessed 1989. Why did you think 89? Let's see here. Well, the tempo was super brisk. That doesn't necessarily mean 89, but that was one thing I noticed about it right away. Um, 
Bobby has this really like glassy kind of somewhat processed kind of tone, this sort of chorusy distortion kind of thing. Um, the band sounded like really healthy and animated to me. And I associate that with that year as it was a great year. It was one of my favorite years. I have an affinity for that for sure. So I was like, hmm, that sounds like home to me a little bit. Do you think 89 is the peak of the post-70s Grateful Dead? Uh, I do. For a, So it's interesting. I was so excited when they came out with that Spring 90 box a couple of years ago. I was so psyched for that because it was a great year. But one of the things I remembered is that they were so heavily doing MIDI stuff then. And I just, I just find it sort of, it didn't bother me as much at the time, but now it's a little bit of a buzzkill in the middle of song. To me, anyway, just personally, you know, it's trumpet and clarinet and stuff like that. Some of it was great. Some of those tones I really liked a lot, like the, the like the pan flutes and stuff I thought were pretty cool, but some of it just is so, uh, you know, a little bit jarring. So that's why, yeah, 89 was sort of like pre-MIDI and they were just, I don't know, they just were riding high, you know? I just feel like that was a great year. Saw some shows then too, which were very like important in my personal development. So cool time to see shows. So yeah, so Garen thought eighty nine. Josh, you thought eighty one, kind of the opposite end of the eighties there. Why'd you think eighty one? Yeah, it's funny because my gut said, Wow, this is happy. These guys are cruising. This is awesome. At, at first I thought like could be eighty nine. You know, it's it seems like it's kind of bookends, right? Sort of have early eighties, Brent's kicking in, it's you know, they're getting psyched. And so that's why I went with 81. That was the gut. And the irony is, in my band, I'm the Bobby, and I'm always listening for Bobby stuff. I did not pay attention at all to Bobby's tone. <laughs> and, I'll be and I will bet you 100 bucks that Garen's right, by the way. <laughs> well, Garen has the right idea. It was, I know your writer at the Omni in Atlanta on April 1st, 1990. So Garen goes up 1-0 in the series. Ryan, really, really nice pick. Why, why that writer? 90s Narada might be my my favorite. It, like like I said, it sounded so young and and fresh. And Brent is just you know on fire, and just the tempo, it's just amazing. And I just always loved that that one. I mean, I was telling talking to Mike earlier, and I'm riding home from work today, and on Sirius, they played nine, I think nine twenty ninety, and I was like man, I think I like this one better than what I sent in. Like, can I change my list? You know, it's like Murphy's Law. But that's the great thing about this, isn't it, guys? Like, you hear one and then someone, you listen to another, like, oh, man, that's amazing. But the really the biggest thing about this is the, the evolution. You know, think about it, like an early rider, you know, with, with Pig and then all the way to, to this. Like, what a different song. Totally. So, Ryan, how did you get into the dead? I guess I'm very lucky. I, like I said, my stepfather, um, my parents divorced when I was, I think, four or five. And, you know, they taught me a valuable lesson that, that for a lot of times, there's some be, someone out there you're supposed to be with. And I've been lucky enough. But my two bonus parents, they've all been together. My, I got a great stepdad. I got a great stepmom. But my stepdad was about, I think, geez, I think he was 10 years younger than my mom. So I think my mom was like, 33 34 and he's like 20 21 and then i'm four my brother's two and um he was just getting into the dead and stuff and uh he didn't have the best childhood you know he'll tell you um but he would go down to um say those uncles outside of new york city and like get getting on the subway going into the city and stuff so i mean he, he grew up a lot faster than most of us from maine you know and, but um he always loved music and it was always in the background I can't believe I used to do this. I could pitch in our garage playing darts. He'd come home, artwork in the lots, and we would, as young kids, we'd throw darts in it. I mean, all these posters. And when I finally smartened up, I tried to save them, you know, and like bring it into my college dorm rooms. By then, they were just so tattered. But um, just, it's just, it's been a big part of my life and it really shaped who I am, you know? Um, it's, it's just amazing. I like how everyone has their things. Like my nieces have horses and we just did a um, camp for a friend, my good friend's son and they're loppers, live action role play. Not my thing, but they're so into it. And that's what they do. That's what they do on weekends. Like, you know, we used to travel. Like you said, scrape every penny you can to go to the next show. And it just, 
I just love that about people and how, you know, and like, I just think we're blessed that it's music, you know, kind of consider myself an atheist and I get more from music, you know, when I'm having a bad day, you know, I put that on, you know, when I'm having a great day, I put it on and, you know, it's got me through some really tough times and, and I've celebrated the best times with it. You know, it's, it's been with me through everything and, and I haven't met a deadhead I didn't like for the most part. (laughs) Thanks, Ryan. Okay, so Garen is up 1-0 in the series. I'm rooting for doing this one. No offense, Garen. So we can get another <laughs> Keep going, right. <laughs> All right, let's hear it. Comes a time when the blind man takes your hand, says, Don't you see? Gotta make it somehow. All the dreams you still believe, don't give it up. You got an empty cup. Only love can fill Only love can fill Been walking a morning Been walking all night I can't see much difference between the dark and light. Holy moly. That was, yeah. Nice choice, Ryan. So that was a, that was a comes a time. Josh, your guess was 71. Why 71? Honestly, that's a tune I don't know very well. Um, sounded like a really, really respectful audience. A really, really young, um, very fresh-sounding Jerry. And I didn't know how far back to go. Um, I didn't know if it was one of those, I don't know. I think there was some Europe 72 shows that had a similar feel. I, I figured it was early 70, 71, 72. Great. And Garen did think it was 72. Uh, Garen, why 72? It's weird because comes a time, it didn't come out on record until Reflections, I think. And I think that was like 76. Um, and I remember when they came out with a release where it was on a really early 70s show, it sort of blew my mind. I was like, oh, wow, comes a time is that old of a tune. Because it sort of went dormant for a while and then it came back really heavy. Like they played it a lot in the mid 80s. And, you know, it's one of those songs that sort of would disappear for a while and then come back. But yeah, he's very youthful, Jerry, sort of a lo-fi analog kind of sound on the instruments. Phil's bass tone is that classic, you know, I don't know, I think that was Big Brown or whatever that bass is called. Um, those reasons, I guess. Well, Ryan gets his wish for rooting for Josh on that one to get a game three because it was 1971 uh, at the Taft Auditorium in Cincinnati. Great pull, Josh. With that respectful audience. Love that. Love that. <laughs> I don't know. No, no, that was beautiful. Ryan, why'd you pick that one? Like you said, Jerry's voice is just so healthy in that. And just that version, you, you know, you could you could just feel his voice, you know, like just that just catches me. And like Gary was saying, I didn't really I think it comes a time later on in the whole, you know, timeline. Just an interesting time, you know, but Jerry is just right on and the drummer thing. And I was just kind of interested to see what these guys would, you know, pick apart in that. Yeah, it doesn't get much more beautiful than that in terms of Jerry's voice. Um, Josh, before we continue, could you tell us how you got into the dead? Um, so I grew up, I'm 57, right? So I have a 
a story that's really different from everybody else. I think I grew up in a non-musical family. Uh, you know, we my my dad had a, a stereo, really nice stereo that he played very little music through. It was much more about the gear than anything else. Um, I didn't have older brothers or sisters who were into the dead or anything else. It was like kind of light jazz and stuff. So in the mid mid seventies, I'm listening to AM radio. Um, around eleven or twelve, I picked up the guitar. Um, got my first stereo when I was 13, got a bunch of different records. Anyway, time goes along and uh, junior year in high school, I joined a band, classic rock, you know, Stones, this, that, you know, Jethro Tull, some Pink Floyd, various stuff, basically anything that was easy enough to play for a bunch of hacks, right? And one of the guys, one of the guys brought a uh, friend of the devil and uh, Alabama Getaway. So we played those, and to me, it was just kind of, okay, well, this is a little different, but it's kind of just classic rock. But what I, reflecting on it, it's like, what I remember most was how contentious it was. Like, bass player didn't want to do it. Rolled his eyes every time it came up on the set list. So it was like, and that set me up for, like, how contentious the whole topic of the Grateful Dead, I think. So time rolls along, then uh, joined a different band the next year. We did trucking and something else. And it was always there as like something I liked, but I didn't dig into it, you know, and then time goes along and kind of different, you know, I kind of got into everything at different points, you know, uh, prog rock and jazz fusion and singer songwriter and new age and took electronic music classes in college and all this stuff. And it's like, and the dead was always there. I you know went to a bunch of shows in the mid eighties. Um, I saw Jerry on Broadway 87. I think that was my last dead related show. And it was there, but I wasn't, I hadn't really dove into it. Even when, when I went to those shows in the mid eighties, I was kind of listening for the tunes that I knew and pro I probably didn't know 90% of it. Um, fast forward to four years ago and I had uh, fairly recently left uh, the original band that I was in kind of between projects and stuff. And I met this guy who was this incredible singer, guitar player. And uh, I was like, holy shit, this guy's the real deal. Time rolls along and he sends out this Facebook post. And it says basically, hey, who wants to form a dead tribute band? I know there's a million of them. I don't care. And I was like, okay, Garen and any other musician on here, you always want to play with people who are better than you. This guy was 10 miles better than me. So it's like, all right. So I wrote him a note and I said, hey, I know you're into Jerry. If you're looking for a Bobby, you're willing to give it a shot. <laughs> so it was like, cool, cool. So and I knew that he would form a great band around him, whether or not it involved me. Anyway, bottom line is he forms this band and he said, you know, we talked about the set list and he sends me these tunes and specific versions of them. And what, one of the things I remember the most was Birdsong was on the list. And he's like, we're doing Vinita 72. I didn't even know what the hell that was, right? At the time, I was like, okay, well, he's got the hard job, right? He's Jerry. Bobby, I, I know he's a little different, but I think I can do this. And as soon as I started digging in, two things happened. Number one, I realized, oh, shit, this <laughs> is really hard. Because this guy is not playing by any established rule book. Throw out all the licks you know. Throw out even how you do your vibrato. That's when I became obsessed. And as I got deeper, other aspects of the music just got me. Like the lyrics. I was a guitar guy, so I didn't pay a lot of attention to lyrics. Suddenly, I started paying attention to lyrics. And Robert Hunter, genius. Like, holy moly. So it was like, you know, kind of going to the edge of the water because of this guy, his name's Eric Carlin, by the way, our band's called Eric Carlin's Half Dead. And um, as I got deeper and deeper into the water, if you, kind of the Jerry analogy of scuba diving, I just dove in and it's so deep, I can't even see the bottom. So that, that's, that's kind of how I, and I, so it's only been a few years, even though I've been kind of a fan you know, since, you know, the mid eighties and liking the music. Now it's a different thing to me. Advanced my playing, it's changed my attitude towards creativity. You know, watching the Long Strange Trip 
documentary and they talk a lot about how um they would take hallucinogenics and it would it would remove the ego the self-judgment um that is a massive deal to me and even though i don't do any of that stuff the fact that i know that they were super focused on that removing the ego removing the self-judgment and all that that is very freeing for me because that's in the spirit of the music you know these guys are totally fallible one night to the next you know it and it's like that's that to me is really inclusive and freeing you know because for so many years i listened to music that was impressive right it was shredders it was people who were there to knock your socks off every note every night perfect and that doesn't do it for me anymore you know now it's about spontaneity and communication and and being in the moment and maybe the moment's not there and that's okay and and it makes the magical moments that much more magical i mean this isn't any new thought for you guys because you're deadheads and you know that's part of the charm of it and it's more than charm for me it's uh it's a way of looking at life you know so sorry that no that's amazing and you tied up the series it is one one and we're going on to a game three as we say up in Maine, we got a bond burner here. <laughs> uh, let's hear it. Okay, our combatants are 10 years apart on this morning due. Wow. Garen, you guessed 87. Why 87? Honestly, I mean, there were, there, my very first show was in 87. And at first I was like, wow, is this the due for my very first show? Um, but uh, just the quality of Jerry's voice, he was still, it was, you know, raspy but healthy. And the parts the band is all playing are just like, settled in in a, in a way that, that that I really respect about that era is like it wasn't rote or overly you know rehearsed it was just they played some of this stuff so many times that everybody knew exactly where to be you know like all Phil's leading into the verse and just all that stuff they're all just interlocking in such a beautiful way um and uh also like there was a little bit of like this is super geeky I guess with like that sort of like reverb on the vocals and was sort of a signature of that era in my opinion i don't know um yeah and the room sounded pretty big sounded like a indoor arena you know uh what was your first show uh 91887 msg so. um cool so josh you guessed 77 you were thinking you know something very different what would you what'd you hear there I mean, it's so funny. This is twice now it's happened where we've made the same observations and gotten opposite answers. <laughs> so my first thought, I'm, now this time I was listening to Bobby and having tried to learn though that part, yeah. I know that that part goes back earlier. Right. I can't remember exactly which versions, 73, 74, whatever it is. Or, but I had a, I was like, 
I, and I heard the reverb and I was like, yeah, that's a big, that's a big audience, but man, I bet he probably varied that more by the time the eighties rolled around. And this sounds like his seventies part, you know, and the way they were playing and the groove. Um, I just got in an argument with my, my best friend who happened to be my best man at my wedding too, whoever talked about uh, best men. Um, about you know 72 morning dew versus barton and he's like he's all about barton i'm all about europe 72 and <laughs> and what's the groove and i'm like yeah there's a little disco in the in the morning dew and on barton and he's like what are you talking about i'm like anyway <laughs> so it sounded so much like those 70s parts that i've been trying to learn for months now that i was like i bet it was different later so i went with 70s and you know Barton shows the Barton shows coming up next month. And that's just down the road for me. So I was like, you know what? This is a sign. I should guess 77. Awesome. Well, the recency bias got you, Josh, it was 87 and it was nine eighteen eighty seven. 87. Oh, Going to that show dude. pays <laughs> off. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. Stuff like that. that just happens. Isn't it with this band like serendipity, man. That's very cool. And you guys had such poker faces when I said that too. And neither of you great. gave it up at all. I was like, <laughs> my wife and I, that's our, that's our favorite. One of our friends says Augusta's 84. And like everyone has their version, you know? And yeah. But I was thinking about, you know, what Joe was saying. And both, both this, the 87 and 77 are right after kind of, they weren't hitting it that hard, you know? I never thought about coming out of 75, 76 and just that, energy is 77 78 79 it's almost the same as coming out of the coma and going into the late 80s i never thought of it like, like that i want to ask the other guys in the on the call um if they play morning dew in their band and if so do they have a hard time deciding whether to play it at a bar gig at a big club at a concert whatever because we get into endless arguments about this it's like we have a bar gig on saturday morning dew was on the set list and we got removed because as we're playing at a bar, it's like, do people at a bar on Saturday night want to hear Morning Dew? I do. Yes. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, Dave and Garen? Uh, I, like I said, we don't really do set lists. So that kind of, it all happens organically. You know, if we kind of get, we actually just played it the other day. We did like a, we did an Uncle John's plan, do playing Uncle John's. But that just kind of happens and we actually don't play that song very often so it, it often tricks me up so there's a lot of like really cool fill bass parts that yeah if we only played every couple months it kind of tend to forget those but yeah i don't know i guess it depends on the bar and how many people are there and what what the vibe is you know if it's like people are wasted and talking <laughs> a lot you probably don't want to play right play <laughs> Because I mean, the cool part of that song is when you really drop down before that second, before that second guitar solo. I mean, that's like one of my favorite moments of music to play. So powerful. And I'm just hitting a D. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you guys thought about that stuff. Yeah, it's good. Oh, yeah. I, I've never thought of that either. Garen, would you be hesitant to play it? You know, we're also similar. We don't ever have a set list. So when it comes up, I'm always happy. But like Dave just said, I'm also a lot of times I'm like, shit, I wish I had given this. I had 10 minutes to run through this in my head because harmonically speaking, it's very simple as these guys are referencing. You know, it's only it's just a handful of chords. It's not about that. It's about creating the chords with a with multiple lead lines, essentially. You know, right. so everybody is really playing single note lines throughout that entire song. Jerry's really, well, he's, you know, he's, he's probably, he's keeping the skeleton of it together with the chords, but he's also playing all those dado do and do do and all that stuff. You know, so he's playing a lot of single note stuff in there. So anyway, it's just such a cool, cool arrangement. Nice, Garen, congratulations. Josh, nice run. Ryan, great. Thanks for doing it. Nice choice there with the MSG do. Uh, that's a, that was a killer one. This has been great. Far beyond my expect expectations. Hearing you guys, that's amazing. Well, it's been amazing having you here, and thank you again. And thank you to all the contestants, and congrats, Garen. Okay, um, subscribe to Guest of the Year on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for all the show links, including our YouTube channel. Go to guestoftheyear.net. And if you want to be a contestant on the show, sponsor the show, or make comments and ask questions, email us at info at guestoftheyear.net. 
big shout out to Dylan for drawing the posters. Big shout out to Mason for curating the prize packs. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the amazing tapers whose recordings made this show possible. Congratulations to our back-to-back champ, Garen. And to our other contestants, thank you for playing. And remember, it is all one song anyways. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night. And I bet you good night. Good night. Good night.